house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. To predict the weather could save hundreds of thousands of lives. We are scientists, not fortune tellers. You'll get your chance. They'll realize your worth. I think they know my worth quite well enough. Prove them wrong, James. I'm a really good aeronaut. I want to use what I'm good at. Women don't belong in balloons. And she makes such a show of herself. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that Jesus loves more than you will know. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my really good aeronaut, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Joe, do you even have a balloon? <laughs> obviously i'm sure in the trailer clip that you put in there women don't have women don't belong in balloons is in there but i gotta say there are some other contenders for equally absurd lines about balloons felicity jones saying do you even have a balloon like she's you know from the plastics (laughs) (laughs) and then On, on wednesdays we fly in balloons um, <laughs> well, the the haughty British men basically saying the same line like they're the gay plastics. It's like, true. Have you? There's ever also seen the moment. Balloon? There's also the moment in the trailer where they uh, Eddie Redmayne says predicting the weather could save thousands of lives, and then it cuts to a shot of him like in the rain, sticking his hand out in the rain. Where I'm just, just like, we need to improve <laughs> this system of weather casting before it was just our hands, and. Um, <laughs> It's, we cannot it's walk a, out into the rain. It is so dangerous. It is a very that's like, to communicate the like the life saving potential of balloons. It's just like we could figure out when it's raining, which also actually makes me think of Mean Girls and uh, Karen uh, being uh, whatever seventy five percent sure that it's already raining. Absolutely. Um, the Aeronauts is just Mean Girls, listeners. It's a kind of funny and kind of somewhat iconic trailer for a movie that isn't much of anything. Although I will say before we get ahead of ourselves. For a movie that I've already fallen asleep while trying to watch once before, (laughs) I didn't hate it the way I thought I would hate it. There are parts of it that I was like, oh, I find myself like oddly like wrapped up in in this story a little bit. I think it is a non-functioning movie. I think at some point, with when they're up in the balloon and whatever, like I was like, I cannot deny that I hope that she can wedge her little boot in here because uh, <laughs> you know, otherwise they'll just keep ascending and ascending and they'll die. And I would like, I would like for them to succeed. Well, they're going but, up, up, up to the heaven like, layer. Oh God! I... The other movie from December 2019 yeah. uh, that features uh, an ascent into the heavens via balloon. That's true. The storm cloud that they go through, they crash into Grizabella. That's how she dies. <laughs> Wait, you're saying that all that effort to give to have Grizabella 
win the chance to go to the heavyside lair and become the Jellicle choice was for naught because she got knocked to her death by the Aeronauts? Well, you know why she was the Jellicle choice. Why? Because she's a really good Aeronaut. She's a really good Aeronaut. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> swear to God. You're a menace. You are a menace to me, Chris. I, I'm just saying. You could yeah. stitch the ending Grizabella Ascent to the Heaviside Lair into this movie, and they would look equally as atrocious. I think, aside yeah. from this movie being just narratively not good, not working, I think it is so but ugly to look oh, at. Oh, God. Not at but every, ugly. <laughs> every second of this movie, every frame is really hideous to me. It's not great. It's also, I mean, we'll definitely talk about the decision to, you know, film so much of this movie in IMAX and then release it on Amazon. And, you know, the the bafflement there. But uh, I, I, I feel like we should ease our way into this somehow. Is this our second, only our second 2019 movie after Cats? Uh, no, it's our third, because once again, what else is up, up, up in the sky? Oh, no. Lucy. Right? Wow, we really are making uh, a whole theme of it with our 2019 films. It's amazing that we're already, like, three calendar years past uh, 2019, right? Wild, like we've, right? we've We've changed the calendar over three times since then. Which well, and we'll maybe uh, have a, a pretty momentous occasion uh, to do uh, 2019 again. So. Who's to say? Who's to say? Uh, uh, hint, hint, hint. Um, we've got some plans, I will say, for like, if you are a, a loyal listener, or if you are even uh, just sort of recently coming onto our podcast, we've got some interesting things coming down the pike, including... Uh, as as you all may or may not know, every May we do a mini series, and we've got one a cooking, as uh, Pheromone might say. And I would say our most ambitious May mini series. It's true. It's 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 the one that has uh, required us to mobilize a lot more and a lot earlier than we had before. And there's maybe fewer connective threads between like the, the movies right i would say that we're probably at least it'll be movies that our listeners have seen at least most yes. of yes um but uh more on that soon yeah so stay tuned like i said let uh, us know what you think it might be we've got great movies for march and april as well but like uh, i would i would circle may on your calendar there's going to be some fun ones so yeah, some good discussion ahead, which is not to say that we don't already have good discussion in the in the in the quiver for the aeronauts, but uh, what is this movie? What is this movie, Chris? <laughs> it's a movie about aeronauts. I remember when I first heard about this movie when I was sort of doing research as I often do uh, at the very beginning of the season because Vanity Fair will have me on for like long look ahead or whatever. And so I prepare a little spreadsheet, which I am currently doing now for the films of 2022. Cannot um, wait to send my uh, feverish text to you to send me that spreadsheet. Yes. 
Um, now that I send it to more people, I am feeling more and more, because initially it was just like, it was my little cheat sheet or whatever. And now that I'll like, I'll send it to Katie, I'll send it to Richard, I'll send it to you. And it's like, now I feel the pressure to have it be as comprehensive and accurate as possible, because I will still (laughs) never forget the, uh, the year that I sent it out to everybody at VF and we recorded the podcast and part of their podcast was like, which movie do you think is going to go all the way? And... Mike Hogan picked a movie on that spreadsheet that fully had already been pushed to the next year, and I hadn't made that change on the spreadsheet. And so, like, after the fact, I was like, oh, God, like, that movie that Mike picked isn't coming out till next year. And I felt so responsible for, like, of you know, a factual error on that point. And I was just like, oh, God, oh, this is fine. too much pressure now. It's too much pressure. Anyway, I, I mean, like, I, like I keep similar it. spreadsheets, but you're really good at, like, finding things that I hadn't even realized. Or things that, like, you know, you hear in a headline and then it gets buried among 15 other headlines and you forget about. Like, you would you, think that I would be very diligent that. about that. What it actually is, is me, like, haphazardly going through as many movie studio Wikipedia pages as possible for, like, upcoming movies. Or, like, just scouring through all of IMDb under a... a the production company header. And of course that I don't have a comprehensive list of every, you know, studio, even though most of them, like obviously the big ones or whatever, this is very boring to say, but anyway, <laughs> this is all which is to say is I am a spreadsheet nerd and uh, more and more. So getting more and more so every year. And uh, sometimes it is to the benefit of all that I can uh, do this thing. So anyway, yeah, the aeronauts, I remember when I first read about it, and my very first thought was, and I think I expressed this on that very Vanity Fair podcast, was, oh, it's going to be like a romance up in the air. And I was like, just like that Kate Winslet movie, where it was like, Kate Winslet and Idris Elba on the mountain, are they going to fuck on that mountain? And it's like, and, and it's like are Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones going to fuck in that balloon? And then you watch the movie. 30,000 like, feet, baby. And then you're watching the movie and you're like, A, I could not care less. And B, like, that's obviously never going to happen because this movie is not really about a romance, even if there are, like, hints towards it. It is mostly about um, a nerdy numbers boy and an adventuresome lady and <laughs> and her essentially being Her right. proving that she belongs in that balloon. Right. And it's like, there's no... Uh, I mean, it's uh, this is an easy metaphor because they turn to icicle people by the end of the movie. But, like, there is no warm blood going on in that movie, in that basket of that balloon whatsoever. There's a lack of oxygen up that high. Well, I also, I listen, I'm never going to not at least kind of like a movie where altitude madness comes into play. Like, I, I, I like a movie where space madness happens. I like a movie with altitude madness. Anything where, like, a lack of oxygen to the brain contributes to you going off of the deep end for purposes of a movie, cool. I'm into it. So, But on paper, at least initially, this movie seemed like it could be, you know, fuck mountain in the skies, you know, adventure romance in hot air balloons and the danger. But what it really is, is like, what if gravity in a hot air balloon with flashbacks to Sandra Bullock's dead child? Yes. Yeah. I mean, 
there's this a lot. A, there's like a, gravity kind of made people think, oh, I could make that movie because like I think gravity is probably one of the more influential movies on what this movie is trying to be and failing. I think that's to right. Be. I think that's right. Because, like, even the kind of, like, action-adventure stuff, you know, the survivalist in, like, this, uh, you know, impossible, dangerous circumstance. Sure. Isn't that good or interesting? And partly it's because you're looking at too many pixels. Um, Yeah. And otherwise, just because these characters aren't that interesting. I think that's the biggest problem, is that the characters just aren't that interesting. And we'll get into the true story of it all and what is based on a real real people and what is uh, fictionalized and um including but, whole characters whole thematic elements of which the movie which is fine with me like make the whole thing fictional for all i care but just like make yeah, it compelling yeah exactly it should be entirely fictional instead we get the girl bossification of the hot air balloon that is basically the thing and that's what a lot of the reviews really uh, focused in on too as i was reading the reviews um but you mentioned uh sort of the flashbacks and the balloons and whatnot, and you find out that much like most movies made nowadays, uh, The Aeronauts is about trauma, and um, yes. uh, Felicity Jones has a traumatic event in her past. It took me to looking up the cast on IMDb to realize that her uh, late husband from these flashbacks is played by Vincent Perez, who... Really? Is, yes. I didn't even catch that. I know, like, you wouldn't, because all of the flashbacks are, like, filmed Wind very sort of frantically, face. and so, like, you you rarely get to linger on his face, and then also he's got, like, a beard situation going on. And also, I can't remember the last time I've seen Vincent Perez in a movie, but I will say this. He is not somebody who really has much of a presence in films today. He is somebody, if you look back, he was in... um the Crow City of Angels. He was the sort of right. the second guy who was the Crow. He was in uh, uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. He was in Queen of the Damned. He's the non-Lestat uh, character, like may, uh, male lead in Queen of the Damned. Um, I always, always, always... Uh, I've never seen this movie, actually, and I really should, but there's this still from the movie Queen Margot, where it's... Vincent Perez, both of them wrapped in like a in a blanket in this like fabric. red velvet blanket, and he. You is, should watch that movie. That movie's kind of rad. That's a gnarly movie. <laughs> I should. Well, also, it's like she's one of the most beautiful people who have ever existed, right? And he is also, especially in this shot, like I've never seen a more beautiful man in my They're entire life. They're both leaning back at this non-human angle Look and up. staring into each other's eyes. Literally just I'll go put on, it on Google the image search. Yeah, put it on the Tumblr. Go Google image search Vincent Perez and Isabella Johnny and Queen Margot. They look so pretty. And like... And also, I'm... please Photoshop them into a hot air balloon and send yeah. it to us. <laughs> and please give us that movie. I would I would have... Vincent Perez and Isabella Johnny fucking in a hot air balloon Today. at 30,000 feet. Today. In 20... Like, it, make that movie in 2019, like, much less in 1990 when they were at their, like, scorching hot peak. But, like, I, I, I tweeted one time years ago when I was found this still again. I was like, gay Twitter would not have been able to handle 1990s Vincent Perez. And it's absolutely true. Like, we just would not have had the capacity to... There would not have been uh, gifts of, you know, people melting into puddles in their seats uh, enough (laughs) for Vincent Perez in the 1990s. And truly, we didn't deserve him. Anyway, 
Um, still hot enough today to give Felicity Jones uh, PTSD for uh, having lost him in a, in a heart attack. For being a good husband. A good husband who will swan dive out of a balloon to save your life spoiler alert but also don't well and he swan dove like i don't know something 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 swan dove straight into a gay man i don't know (laughs) what are you saying swan dive onto this d is that what you're saying is that land on me vincent perez is what i'm saying i don't know (laughs) all right um we will have plenty of time to talk about uh other hot men in this movie because Himesh Patel is also in this movie. We'll get into it. Um, but I think let's do, I think this, we can, we can dive into the plot description maybe a little bit early. I know 20 minutes is usually our, uh, our yardstick, but uh, listen, it's know. all in flashbacks. We're going forward talking about the movie <laughs> and then we're going back and forth talking about Vincent Perez. This so movie starts so the movie. This movie starts so much in the middle of a scene that I genuinely thought that oh, I that like that like my Amazon Prime had like started me twenty five minutes into the movie or whatever. It it's an odd, it's such an oddly paced and structured movie. It's weird. It's so weird. All right, um, but we are talking about the twenty nineteen film, The Aeronauts. This week, it is was directed by Tom Harper. Not to be confused with Tom Hooper, who directed, again, uh, another 2019 movie about uh, cats going up in balloons. Um, written by Jack Thorne, starring Felicity Jones, Eddie Redmayne, uh, Theory of Everything Reunion, we'll talk about it, uh, Himesh Patel, Tom Courtney, Anne Reed, with the iconic line reading of Women Don't Belong in Balloons, which I totally <laughs> didn't clock from the trailer that it was her. Uh, Vincent Perez, as I mentioned, Phoebe Fox playing Felicity Jones' sister. It premiered at the Telluride Film Festival on August 30th, 2019. It played a very cursory run in select theaters on December, starting December 9th, 2019, before dropping on Amazon Prime on December 20th, the absolute ideal place for a movie filmed with IMAX cameras with stunning... Uh, panoramic vistas. Yes, you definitely want to watch that on your laptop. Did you just uh, say stunning and scare quotes, or did you mean that? I mean, the panoramic vistas are uh, are intimidating. Like, I am a person who uh, is, I would say, easily uh, scared by heights. And every time you sort of, like, took a look down, I was like, oh, shit. So, I wanted to feel that way because I am te- I am deathly terrified of heights. But, I don't it just looks so rubbery and Blast. Well, but I think that I think I think seeing it on a laptop screen does not help that. You know what I mean? Like I feel sure. like this would this is just a it's a fatal way of screening that movie. I just I read enough reviews that had praised what some of those uh, some of those visuals were that I believe seeing it on a big screen would have contributed to it. Like I just trust them. So yes, I said breath. T- what did I say? Breathtaking. Stunning. Stunning. It's stunning. Um, all right, Chris, 60 seconds on the clock. Would you like Whoa. to begin describing the plot of the aeronauts? Uh, yeah. All right, Stunin. and begin. 
Okay, so Felicia Jones plays Amelia Wren, who is a hot air balloon pilot, even though, what? All together now, women don't belong in balloons. She partners up. Uh, this is also set in, like, the mid-1800s. She partners up with a scientist named James Glacier. He is real in real life. She is not. She is a fictional character. But they partner up. He wants to uh, basically do early meteorology, but everyone in the science community thinks that's crazy. You can't predict the weather. Anyway, they try to ascend as high as anybody has ever gone in seconds. a hot air balloon, um, and they do it, but he goes a little crazy in the process, and she has to climb to the very top of the hot air balloon to, like, open the vent thing and save them. Uh, meanwhile, she's processing her trauma because her husband, who was a pilot with her, uh, jumped out of a hot air balloon to save them one time. Anyway, she, meanwhile, she is saving James this whole time. Seconds. They crash, and then the science community says that uh, whether uh, meteorology is real. Four seconds to just talk about meteorology some more if you want to. Nope, too late. It's over. Okay. Nope. Um, yeah. Uh, insert in Yara Sophia. Oh, I burned my ass. <laughs> yes, that's the the long timeline of meteorology starts with this. Starts and, with Eddie Redmayne proving that you can predict the weather, and then the end game of meteorology right. science is Yara Sophia. Yep, that is uh, the alpha and the omega of meteorology. That is definitely for sure. Um. Yeah, so, again, this movie starts in a weird sort of, like, media res, and then they're up in the balloon, and then we are flashing back to all of the moments in Eddie Redmayne's career where people have told him that uh, predicting the weather is akin to, to junk science and sorcery, and all of the moments where Felicity Jones was told... Uh, women don't belong in balloons and and wouldn't you rather stay home and i don't know sew or something like that uh and <laughs> it's it's super vague on those points which is why it's like a frustrating uh girl boss type movie right because it's like if you're going to completely fictionalize this character because it was apparently two male scientists and like not even make it about you know a real woman who existed right but, like to fictionalize it and then to be as lowest common denominator <laughs> about it as you can be it's like well, what you I, I i get that like this movie wants to like talk about like you know power to women and such but like it does it in an entirely vague way in the way yes. that it ports this it, it portrays this character's life and how it's limited her or like how she's had to fight back against certain systems. It doesn't yes. go into that at all. It just like assumes that like women don't belong in balloons. Right. So the real story was there was a real British aeronaut named James Glacier and he did have a uh, 1862 balloon flight with a man named Henry Coxwell, pause for laughter. And, um, that really happened. And also, at around that time, there were women who sort of worked within the general field of uh, balloonage and uh, aeronautics. There was a woman named Sophie Blanchard and a woman named Margaret Graham. And those two women are sort of the composite basis, very loose sort of basis, for Felicity Jones's character. But she's essentially uh, a a fictionalized composite uh, new character and part and also James Glacier is like the very basis of the red main character but like everything that happens in this movie is fictionalized beyond the fact that right. there was a balloon flight and my feeling is the only reason that they kept 
this character named James Glacier. It's not spelled exactly like the iceberg, but like it's it, they wanted to keep the uh, the symbolism of this cold and distant man named Glacier and this free spirited woman whose last name is Wren. And it's just like <laughs> we get it. She's just a bird who wants to fly, and he has like little icicles in his in his cold dead heart like we and he's portrayed by eddie redmayne who either has the options of or seemingly makes a choice of uh speaking with his mouth entirely closed right or open wide enough to swallow the whole of lana wachowski (laughs) those are the two those are the two modes of eddie redmayne even especially uh you know up in the tropopause right frozen um uh the belt of calm dead air uh i dreamed i went there um yes um catch me on any other day watching the aeronauts and like in my head just reciting the uh, harper pit monologue from the end of angels in america this is how we improve the aeronauts we just insert footage from other movies namely grizabella mary louise parker flying by them right Vincent Perez uh, joining the web of souls rising and repairing the hole in the ozone layer. Um, and it was repaired. Nothing has ever gone for good. Um, okay. So at least I think that's so. At least I think that's so. All right. Um, <laughs> Mom, what did you think that was about? Love. All right. Now we've brought still Alice into it. I'm happy. Okay. So um, I watched the end of that the other day. Alice. I watched the end of that the other day and cried again. It's fine. I'm fine. Everything's good. Um, great. You would not have pegged... If I had shown this movie to somebody who had not seen any movies from like the previous decade, and I said, true or false, these two lead actors have been in a movie together where they played husband and wife and were good enough that they both were nominated for Academy Awards. I and one of them won. I would have gotten like a ninety-five percent false because false, absolutely they there is no sense in this movie that these two are like familiar with each other are like old friends. I imagine there's like a good. I imagine they have a good working relationship if they both wanted to go star in this balloon movie together. But there just there is no great chemistry between them in this movie which is puzzling i mean because- i would ask you in their other screen performances who have either of them had great chemistry with well now that's you're the going thing to i think that they're just not well you hate eddie redmayne Car- more than i do so I mean, let me see hate is extreme because Please, i it just do- admit that you hate eddie redmayne and stop gaslighting me that you don't i like, come on I'm about to make you more angry, but oh, like, God. I do think what he is doing in Jupiter Ascending is correct for well, that movie. Well, I do too. I think the, he's good. I don't love that movie like everybody else has decided to make yeah, the movie a secret it. masterpiece. I, I think the. Not that, secret masterpiece, but I love it. I think he's great in that movie. I think he. I think you're exactly right. I think he is on the wavelength that that movie needs. I think it's his best performance. I um, agree. I, I absolutely would agree with that. No, I think in his career, it's. No, like. Eddie Redmayne is not notable for being a smoldering ball of chemistry, right? Where like, but like, I think in Savage Grace, and again, the chemistry there is supposed to be bent and twisted, and maybe that's the the temperature that works best for him. And we really haven't seen him 
do bet and twist it aside from Jupiter Ascending. Maybe this is the realization that we all have to make is that like, stop casting Eddie Redmayne as normal, non twisted people and we'll be fine. The but, problem with that is in this day and age, that means that he will be cast as the Joker. If you right, want him that's to play true. freaks. It's again. the only bent and twisted role. It's true. It's a bummer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like it's not like he and Catherine Waterston are burning up the screen in Fantastic Beasts. Um, I mean, less said about the Danish girl, the better. Uh, he and, and Amanda Seyfried did not have particularly scorching chemistry in Les Mis. He and Michelle Williams did not have particularly scorching chemistry in My Week with Marilyn. You're not wrong. Like, you are you are not wrong on the merits there. So, but I will say, I liked both of them in The Theory of Everything. Would I have given him the Oscar for it? Maybe not, but I don't hate that Oscar win. I think he gives an incredibly committed and physically demanding performance in that movie. And I think worse could have happened. But yes. And I, I don't think that either of them are bad in that movie. I think she's better than he is. And that's probably her best performance. But like, oh yeah, let me look into her super exciting. So I, Felicity Jones, I think fares better in the, in the chemistry department. Let's go through her filmography kind of quickly um, or whatever, whatever we've got time. We don't need to talk about the aeronauts for vis-a-vis the aeronauts too much. Okay. Um, she had been in stuff like Brideshead Revisited and Cherie, although I don't remember noticing her in those. But her again, big breakout was like crazy. Right. And so I think the both of you are on the same. She was also in, by the way, um, the Julie Taymor version of The Tempest that I've still not seen, that one of these days I should. Does she play The Tempest? <laughs> no, Ben Wishaw plays The Tempest, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Um uh no, right. Like Spider-Man crazy, plays The Tempest. <laughs> right. Uh like crazy is a movie I think that both of us are sort of united on in that, like, that was a movie that got a lot of great critical acclaim and neither one of us liked it very much. Right? I remember being kind of ho-hum, though, like, I respect what it's doing. And, like, part of the point of that movie is that she has limited chemistry with Anton Yelchin. Like, it's, you know, kind of narratively the point, but, you know... And that was around not, nothing at the same time. That was around the time I was really coming around on Anton Yelchin. For whatever reason, early in his career, I was very anti, and I don't know what my problem was. But um, I don't think he's bad in that movie. Her character is really behind an eight ball, where her character behaves so obstinately stupidly. The, that movie sort of hinges on the fact that she, her visa ends up expiring because she just stays in the United States too long to be with this guy. And... It's one of those things where you're watching the movie and you're just like, just go renew your fucking visa. Mm-hmm. Like, and this will be fine. But like, and it's so, it's it's very hard to sympathize with her character, especially because it's just like, this movie could have been an email is basically my feeling about, <laughs> about like crazy. And, um, and then, so it's like, it all feels very contrived in that way and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, she's in the movie, the Rafe Fiennes directed movie, The Invisible Woman, that got an Oscar nomination for, I want to say costumes, but... Indeed uh, it did. Um, what are those, like, one Oscar nomination movies that I only watched because uh, I, I needed to see all the Oscar nominees? It's fine. I feel like the reviews were pretty good for it. I don't remember a ton about it. It's about Charles Dickens and the younger woman who becomes his lover. And she's the younger woman who becomes his lover. I, how did you feel about the invisible woman? I did not see it. Yeah. I think you're fine. Um, 
she's very, very, very briefly in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, to the point where it's only notable because people thought that that was a character who would become more important in a supposed third Amazing Spider-Man movie that we never got. Um, (laughs) Which would have had scenes shot for the amazing spider-man 2 with um shailene woodley right as mary jane that they're right. like oh well we'll just push this off to the third one that we're definitely that, gonna make yeah yeah that it will definitely happen and it didn't happen um but that was the same year as the theory of everything so that was sort of easy to forget so theory of everything big breakthrough best actress nomination um in a in a way where like I'm glad they campaigned her in Best Actress because you could have seen a world where they just campaigned her as supporting and mm-hmm. maybe given her sort of like do the Alicia Vikander uh, of it all and just be like well she's not the main thrust of the movie as the male lead is so we are you know demoting her and and I'm glad they did she they didn't do it I'm also glad that she didn't. Uh, beat julianne moore because julianne moore deserved that oscar um 2016 a monster calls not really a ton of call for chemistry there okay rogue one a star wars story i genuinely really liked the chemistry between her and diego luna in that movie i thought the issue is the reshoots for that movie overhauled that character so that like she kind of i think got a little screwed because the the signs are there that she was supposed to play a harder darker sure character that might have been more interesting but like i still think that's my favorite of the new star wars movies and i think like even all of which all of what you say is true but i think on a just on a pure screen chemistry level i think she and diego luna sell what they are able to sell in that movie because i think they do have good chemistry together is my verdict on that. Speaking of verdicts, we should do on the basis of sex sometime soon. I mean, we'll... It's kind of the perfect This Had Oscar Buzz movie. It is. We have to uh, dodge the army hammer-ness yes, of it. Yes, so I know. like I'm, nothing can, in that movie. We can dodge those bullets. I am less concerned with landmines of that sort than than you are. But uh, I mean, there we'll there's a lot of landmines anyway, so it's like we just yeah. kind of embrace it um, throughout. Oh, and then yeah. I genuinely, I know I saw The Midnight Sky, and I know she was in The Midnight Sky. I know Oof. she pretty much is the lead, she's sort of like the female lead of The Midnight Sky, and yet... That awful movie. Not a good movie, and and I don't remember a thing from her. So I guess you're right in the fact that, like, yeah... She not, plays the pregnant astronaut. Right. No, I know, but it, I just mean... Women's like, belong, women belong <laughs> in balloons and in space. And in space, yeah. Um... What is this movie, The Last Letter from Your Lover, that is her most recent thing? Her and... Oh, wait. It's a Shailene Woodley movie. Shailene Woodley, Callum Turner, Joe Alwyn. Oh, Shailene Woodley's the ad. It is Felicity Jones is the female lead of this movie. I've never even heard of this movie. I think that's something that was just, like, dumped on Netflix. I mean, that makes sense. Weird. Anyway, can we talk a, a little bit about their theory of everything nominations and wins? Because yeah, let's do it. I that's, would that's argue, a big part of the reason why this had Oscar. This movie had Oscar buzz because uh, because they were reteaming. It was yeah, it was such an Oscar success the last time they teamed up. Well, I would argue, and like she, I would argue she is last place of that lineup. But I don't think she's bad. But like, I think. Julianne Moore was so obviously 
out in front, then like second through fifth was probably all close-ish. But I think because Julianne Moore is so far out in front, we don't really talk about this best actress lineup as being as good as it is, because I think it's a pretty great best actress five. I think at the time, my mental energy was in two places. One of which was, yes, uh, Julianne Moore is does seem like she's going to finally win her Academy Award. And, and emotionally, I needed to sort of feather that nest and just sort of make sure that I was prepared for that uh, and a glorious moment it was. And But I think the, my, the other thing was I was so preoccupied with being annoyed that Gone Girl and Wild didn't do as well right. in the overall nominations. And it as, makes it seem like that Best Actress lineup is weaker than it is because those movies somewhat underperform. Well, did underperform. Well, but. and we had been coming off of... I've I've written about and talked about a lot about how Best Actress and Best Picture don't correlate as well as Best Actor, uh, and it's annoying. And we had been coming off of actually a decently... Uh, improved run for that particular phenomenon where in 2013 um amy adams in american hustle sandra bullock in gravity judy dench in philomena all were representing best picture nominees in uh 2012 jennifer lawrence in silver linings jessica chastain in zero dark 30 emmanuel riva in amour and kavanjane wallace in Beast of the Southern Wild, all representing Best Picture nominees. So we had been on a little bit of an upswing with that. And then 2014 happens. And not only is Felicity Jones for The Theory of Everything the only Best Actress nominee to represent a Best Picture nominee, but in my mind at least, Gone Girl and Wild should have been Best Picture nominees that year. Yeah, absolutely. And they weren't. And I was good and pissed off about it so but you're right it's a really really strong best actress lineup do you remember who oh god it's it's cake right marion cotillard ends up edging out jennifer aniston for cake right making it a much better lineup uh for that and i'm glad that she got nominated for two days one night instead of the immigrant because i liked two days one night better I mean, that's I I like The Immigrant better as a movie, but as a performance, like that two days, one night performance is kind of leagues above the other. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl. I watched uh, the the second half of Gone Girl on TV the other day. It's a great like flipping through channels and I'll, oh, it's Gone Girl. Oh, I'll be watching this. Um, Catch just, me on the right day and I'll tell you it's my favorite Fincher movie. I mean, that's a really interesting call. I and, think it's the active challenger to Zodiac. I mean, Zodiac is is my choice. I, I but again, like, there's so many good Fincher movies to choose from. But yeah, Gone Girl's phenomenal, and it's it's almost as if she's the only nominee from that movie. And I almost wish on some days that we could do that movie because it's a fascinating thing. Of like, there were the expectations were really high. And the the anticipation for it was really strong. It didn't get bad reviews, but it got different reviews than people were expecting. And the movie was good in a way that took people kind of a second to acclimate to the way it was good, if that makes sense. Right. Well, I don't think people realize that Fincher's approach to the movie ultimately was making it a very dark comedy. Right. I he really punched up the satirical elements of the novel and 
you know, kept the kind of grungy, off-putting parts of the, like, pot boiler, you know, the trash novel of it yes. all. But, yeah. like, the book isn't... But see, like, I think a lot of people I looked love at that, that book, book like it is just, like, trash airport novel. But it is actually a very smart book, too. I really yeah. liked it. Yeah, um, I really like it. One of my favorite vacation novels of all time, actually. I devoured that one in the span of a week-long vacation. Yeah, um, I think I read that book in, like, two days. Um, and it was weird that it got... I mean, not necessarily... Like, Rosamund Pike's very good in that movie. But, like, that movie is so decidedly like well built around her that it's mm-hmm. it's a little weird to just She's the boil center it down of its gravity. Her. She is. But there's so much more going on in that movie beyond her that's excellent. It's the uh, one movie I feel like Ben Affleck I feel like if if you could ever utter the sentence justice for Ben Affleck and I'm not going to be your guy for saying gone, that girl. sentence, but it's for that one. It's it's if it's he's going to have an Oscar, it should be for that movie, yeah. in my opinion. Um, Honestly, yes. Yes. But like, there's nobody in this Best Actor lineup that I think is as good as Ben Affleck in that movie. And part no. of it is just, like, him being cast in that role at all, and then him kind of meeting the challenge of accepting, you know, the vulnerability or the, like, self-commentary of him playing that role. Yeah. Uh, I know. I think you're right. And also, and it's, and you know, down to like, it's crazy that none of the crafts categories went for that movie, probably partly because it's a contemporary movie. And we know that crafts categories tend to value, uh, period stuff. I'm trying to think of like, what were the big, I think that's also somewhat reactionary to girl with the dragon tattoo kind of over performing in a way, which is like, uh, a lot of that is because that was the year after the social network. And that's the only way that that movie gets impressed. That was almost a Best Picture nominee. And, like, I yeah. like that movie. And, like, again, he's punching up, like, the trashiness of a novel and heightening it. But yeah, I do think there was a little maybe buyer's remorse for that, maybe? I think, I think, you're, I think you're not wrong. I think... Because it's definitely a grungier um, movie. Though it's incredibly well made. It is incredibly well made. Part of me feels almost wants to. No, that's not. It's not a one to one thing. Part of me, I almost said that you know, Girl with the Dragon Tattoos nominations should have gone to Gone Girl and vice versa. But it's not. It's not a one to one thing. Um, and you're right that that is a Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is an incredibly well made movie. But um, anyway, and then Wild, we've talked about. I I. So I the feeling of we're weird... not the first people. We won't be the last people to say if that was a movie about a man, it would be a best picture, best director nominee. Well, exactly. Um, the the and again, Reese was a producer on Gone Girl too. So like the w- the fact that that Oscar season that Reese Witherspoon in the 2014 Oscar race was not analogous to George Clooney in the 2005 uh-huh. Oscar race, where he had. Uh, you know, a performance nominated, but also a movie where he, uh, in that case, he directed Good Night and Good Luck. But I think, like, Reese as a producer on both Gone Girl and Wild, and giving a performance as good as the one she gives in Wild, should have been a story, like, one of the major stories of that Oscar season. And it annoys me that it wasn't. Yeah. 
So anyway, still yeah. incredibly grateful for that surprise Laura Dern nomination and supporting actress because good nomination. Uh, one of my favorite uh, moments of I still remember exactly where I was sitting on the couch that I was sitting on when that happened because I was so happy and I just sort of like I yelped into the air. Um, Who did she kind of edge out? Well, it was Jessica Chastain in um, Oh, right, which we've talked Most about. Violent Year, which we've talked about. Which, like, that's a bummer that it had to be that. The fa- I mean, again, Meryl should not have been as ensconced in that race for Into the Woods as she was. Um, she should have been the one to the uh, get so bounced bad. instead. It is a bummer that that movie is so bad. Um, yeah. Eddie Redmayne's win, though. Let's talk about Eddie Redmayne winning, which is yes. like... It's a lot of what Oscar is rewarding in this category that is, you know, boring and frustrating. I don't think he's bad in the movie. It also feels a little bit like, well, this is the award for that movie, you know, in the way that Oscar kind of spreads the wealth. Um, It was him and Michael Keaton sort of running side by side. Keaton had won the Comedy Globe and Redmayne the Drama Globe. Is that how it happened? I do believe, and I think Eddie Redmayne won the rest of everything, uh, the rest of the precursors. But the people talk about Michael Keaton losing, like, well, it's the Best Picture, Best Director winner. It's weird that he didn't win. And I think the opposite is true. If If Birdman didn't become Best Picture, Best Director, I think he would have had a better chance, partly because of that spreading the wealth thing, but like you said about Gone Girl, it's contemporary. And yet it didn't prevent Birdman from winning in original screenplay, which I feel like is in many ways the more puzzling. I mean, I guess not necessarily more puzzling because Birdman's one of those ones where people, if you like Birdman, you think, ah, what a really great idea for a movie. And sometimes that is enough in original screenplay to, you know, to take that award. Uh And, you know, whereas I would have hoped for something like, I mean, I'm not even the biggest Nightcrawler fan, but like Nightcrawler there, Boyhood, Grand Budapest, all like... I, I would think, vote for Foxcatcher. I still have such a, a, a tough relationship with Foxcatcher, and I guess it's not that movie's, that script's fault necessarily that I find it so boring, but um, I do find it boring, unfortunately. Um, but anyway... Yeah, other nominees and Best Actor, Steve Carell in Foxcatcher, which unfortunately I think is the worst performance of the three leads in that. Like, If if I'm not voting for Ben Affleck this year, I'm voting for Channing Tatum. Oh, in Foxcatcher, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tatum's fantastic. Uh, Ruffalo richly deserved that supporting nomination, but yeah, I'd have nominated Channing Tatum in Best Actor. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Imitation Game, which... Uh, uh, I don't yeah. begrudge Benedict Cumberbatch, I really don't. Um, and I don't, here's the thing about the imitation game. And when I first saw it at Toronto, I remember thinking that is a, that's a well put together movie. And by the end, maybe a little bit similarly to the aeronauts where I was like, I can't deny that I was caught up in the sort of, um, the plot momentum of the end stretch of that movie, hoping that they'll be able to, you know, break that code and, and, and sort of, you know, uh, win the war, whatever. Um, but everything about the prestigification of that movie was annoying, was annoying, bordering on, uh, offensive. And 
it doesn't make his performance worse, but it does mean that like you can't tell me that there weren't other performances that year that deserved a nomination better than than him. I love that he's finally now this year with the power of the dog given a performance. Yeah, he's earned a lot of credit back from people who hate that movie and don't like him that much as a performer. Um, And the fact that like they're the queer themes that we found so wanting in the imitation game end up being now he's in a movie with like really kind of like sneakily effective queer themes even that though aren't some people didactic have, in the way that imitation game is well and, and despite the fact that there are some people who are like steadfastly committed to not getting it with the power of the dog which i hope uh, i wish you well in in all endeavors but also uh hope to never sit next to you on an airplane yeah um uh what is subtext well and it's not i mean just like there are people being like it's you know it's a regressive gay movie because blah 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 uh, I'm missing the point about masculinity, yada yada. I don't yeah. know. I'll talk. We'll talk about it off uh, <laughs> offline. I know exactly. Um, Bradley Cooper and American Sniper, a real, a real piece of flash paper. That movie that burned very, very brightly, very, very quickly. And I know there are still people. There are people I very much love and respect who really liked that movie and really sort of respected what that movie was doing, and. I did not. Yeah, I didn't care for it either. I think it is pro-gun fodder. I think it's Islamophobic. I think it's... Also, this is my thing about people who want to defend that movie. It is so poorly made. Like, it's one... I just... See, I've talked to people... The fucking fake baby. Well, the fake baby. Yeah. Like, I've talked to people who really like, like it as a film, who like beyond what it's saying about whatever, who will stick up for it as a film. And I don't want to invalidate those critiques, but I I, I certainly don't think it's well made enough as a film to override. I do my... not see that movie. I was offended by that movie. And yeah. like, I think it kind of squanders what the movie is actually trying to be which is you know this look at ptsd and you know uh, the way masculinity comes into it all of the things that i think are good and are working are in the performance like i don't want to slight that performance yeah and i would probably argue bradley cooper was in second place just based off the momentum oh yeah the fact that the closest bradley cooper has come to want to winning an acting Oscar. The fact that that ended up getting a Best Picture nomination, it opened incredibly late, so like all of it, all of that momentum was... Famously premiered the same day as Selma at AFI Fest. Right. Both well, of them incredibly last minute. And Selma was the last minute movie that didn't catch on with Oscar voters, unfortunately. Despite the Best Picture nomination, it didn't get any other nominations besides Best Original Song. So if you look at that Best Actor category... I think David Oyelowo for Selma, and then the one that everybody rides for probably a little bit more than I do is Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. A lot of people feel like that is like a capital B brilliant performance and like the best of his career. And mm, uh, it's it's a little. I feel like it's reductive for me to be like it's a little much, but it is a little much for me. I don't know the 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 bug eyed intensity of it is. And I like over the top Gyllenhaal, but I maybe like over the top Gyllenhaal in something like Okja better. And 
I don't know how I can defend that, but uh, <laughs> I can. The shorts, you can defend it because of the shorts. <laughs> sure. But, like, a lot of people really, really thought that, like, Hall got really uh, uh, egregiously snubbed for that. I would probably say the same for David Oyelowo, who I thought was yeah. phenomenal in Selma. I think both of them probably deserve it over people like uh, Cumberbatch and Steve Carell that year. And certainly the one that we talk about all the time being baffled by because the film itself did so well with the Oscars is Ray Fiennes in the Grand Budapest Hotel, which who would uh-huh. be my winner that year? Like he's my he's, he could be my winner that year too. He's absolutely my winner that year. Like you um, could make you could make a better. Uh, we talk about this in other actors' races, but you could make a better best actor lineup of this year. Yeah, from people who weren't nominated. I think that's right. No, I'd what, be tempted it's... to keep Michael Keaton because I do. I'm I'm especially after his SAG win and like he gives a good speech, man. Like why is nobody rooting for this guy enough to give him an Oscar? It was anyway. a really good speech. I thought I yeah, I thought it was really good. So yeah, you put in you keep Keaton, you sub in Channing Tatum for Steve Carell, and then you pull in Oyelowo, Fines, and Jillian Hall. Like that's a really solid best actor lineup. I agree. All right. Uh, back to the Aeronauts, I guess. <laughs> okay, so Kicking my and thing screaming. about this movie, I think that the constant like cutting back and forth actively deflates the tension of both. <laughs> actively I mean, deflates. I guess pun intended. <laughs> it it like completely dismantles the movie. It cuts off the like narrative momentum of the build up. To and like the adversity they face in getting this balloon even off the ground, and then the kind of like physical, like danger, horror of yeah. being up in the air as well. Like it never, they can't create any type of momentum. It feels like it's trying to pull off this real time thing because the movie's a hundred minutes, and that's basically what their flight was in total. Yeah, and. It just all feels so silly, and it's so overly pixelated in a way that it's like, okay, you're chasing gravity, but they were in post-production on gravity for years to make it look... Right. To suspend your disbelief, you know? And, like, I always feel like I'm looking at an ugly screensaver every second of this movie. I mean, yes, I think so. Here's where we should sort of get into the production sort of timeline of it all because you you would almost be convinced seeing this movie and knowing the fact that again it's filmed with IMAX cameras and for you know with IMAX visuals and all this sort of stuff and so knowing that it was released by Amazon you would think, oh, stupid Amazon purchases this movie that is so dependent on IMAX screenings and then, you know, is not able to deliver that theatrical experience. It's even, it's both dumber than that, but also, like, I think the story is a little bit more interestingly interesting to delve into than that, which is Amazon purchased this film at the script stage as a spec mm-hmm. script. So, like, this was an Amazon movie from conception. So, again, a streaming platform then puts into production and, like, finances this movie to be filmed with IMAX cameras and IMAX technology, knowing that it's going to end point this movie being distributed on a streaming platform. But here's where I think it gets a little interesting. So, that's purchase of the spec script 
happens in December 2016. What is happening for Amazon in December of 2016? Is the awards campaign and release for Manchester by the Sea. So, which was still see. This is also the transition of Amazon. This is doing what I was getting distribution. into. This is what I was getting into. Yeah, is back in 2016, Manchester by the Sea is Amazon's best success in the at the Oscars by a good margin, and yeah. a big part of that, I feel like, and a lot of people who were writing about stuff at the time felt like was. That got released like a regular movie. It got re- it it made the festival run. It was released into theaters. It did not make it onto Amazon for I want to say a few months. And it kind of it the whole like streaming exclusivity of it felt a little bit more like an occasion. Whereas like when Being the Ricardos dropped on Amazon this year after a small theatrical run, it felt like there was no fanfare for it. Well, and 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 back in 2016, it felt like Amazon was going to just do things differently than a Netflix. Netflix, even yeah. at that point, was doing the the bare minimum cursory theatrical run to make it so it qual make it so their movies qualified for Oscars, and beyond that, it really felt like you'd be a begrudging theatrical run. And the real premiere was going to be when it would premiere on Netflix. And Amazon seemed to be kind of intentionally going another way, and that like yes, these are going to be Amazon Studios movies, but we are going to release them as traditionally as possible. And the fact that. And they were doing it through distribution partners like uh, Manchester by the Sea was roadside. And right. they, they had different partners for different movies. I believe the strategy was so that like they could learn theatrical distribution from various different types of experience. And the fact that Manchester by the Sea is such a success, best actor winner, best screenplay winner, best picture nominee, they beat Netflix to best picture to a best picture nomination, which I know like stuck in Netflix's craw because like within a year after that they had hired that uh, I can't remember the name of the publicist but like the crazy like intense and successful Oscar publicist yes. who uh, I believe had been at she Miramax. It, it, she went from being like uh I think she was from Miramax but now she is Netflix in-house she is Netflix's staff right so clearly Netflix like that was important to Netflix that uh, that they be able to break into the best picture race and the fact that Amazon did it first at the same time that Hulu had also beaten them to the Emmys which is also like uh, this story of Netflix being like this big behemoth that keeps getting beat by its you know bratty little siblings Netflix's television output though is I mean they did have the crown like the fact that it right. took till this season for the crown to get like I you, you we all of... forget about Orange is the New Black but Orange is the New Black was like having a hot moment and i mean we all forget about house of cards too but like house of cards was having a hot moment even though i right. you know whatever personally that show was never my thing but like a lot of shows that are successful the emmys are never are not my thing but anyway back to manchester by the sea it felt at that moment like amazon had done that film the right way and there was hope that they were going to then take the lessons of that and move it forward. And then they have that disastrous 2017, which we've talked about before, where it's like Wonderstruck and Last Flag Flying and Wonder Wheel and what's the other one that was that year? I can't uh. remember. But like all of their prestige stuff really falls flat. And it feels like, and there was also around that time a lot of uh, 
turnover in management at Amazon. It's a, well because this is partly where you see the strategy change because they have a corporate yeah. change. Yeah, corporate restructuring. The philosophy behind Prime Video was that it wasn't getting enough viewership and people like tons of people had access to it and they weren't watching prime video so it became the streaming platform became a higher priority for them right and so screwing over some of these movies that are in development screwing over uh, asterisks because this movie's bad sure but again if, if this, I, this movie can be bad and also gotten screwed over so right, right. um because Again, uh, pun intended on the deflating of this movie, because when this movie is first like announced, it's denounced as being filmed in IMAX. It's going to yeah. be this big IMAX right. release, which right. makes it seem like a bigger contender than it, it. By the time it's released, it feels like it's a joke that it was ever, you know, considered like. But by the time it's released, they potential. have they have. By the time it's released, they have so fully capitulated to the Netflix style of release that they, again, release it into theaters on December 9th with a very, very small and cursory run to the point where, like, it's not even listed as having a domestic box office take. And then right. and then it, they drop it on Prime on December 20th. So, uh, Chris, if you have a tab for Amazon Studios Films, like, I would like you to close it because I do have a game <laughs> for us to play and I don't want you to have uh, that in front of you. While we do it, before uh, we get into the game, yeah. just to wrap it up on like yes. the release for this movie, yes, I do believe that it was, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, there was kind of a, a little bit of a staring contest between IMAX and them, and IMAX wasn't willing to give up the domestic screens for it for a streaming movie basically so that's why yeah. they pulled the stateside IMAX release overseas i believe that it screened in IMAX i'm trying to uh, remember what would have been the IMAX screenings in december of 2019 i mean i could probably look it up so in theaters on the weekend of december 6th through 8th 2019 the third week of frozen 2 Knives Out, Ford versus Ferrari. This feels wrong as I'm looking at it. Like, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood being in the top five. Queen and Slim being in the top five. Like, I feel like I'm looking... Because, again, it's box office mojo. So uh, I feel like I'm looking at the wrong thing. But anyway... Well, unless everything just like, don't ran know away about... from Frozen 2. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? You were breaking up. I said, in, unless everything just sort of ran away from Frozen 2. Yeah, it could have. It probably still was frozen too. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> however, yes, they did do a somewhat premium release for the Aeronauts, and it's hilarious that they did this. But I know they did this because it played at my theater. They released it on some screens in seventy millimeter. Okay, which when you watch the movie, it's like they shot, I'm sure they shot this in digital IMAX, not film IMAX. Yeah. So is that like, you know, placating the filmmaker right. or some yeah. type of appeasement? So the big, obviously the big December, uh, 2019 release was star Wars rise of Skywalker, but that didn't premiere until a couple weekends. Like by the time that premiered, aeronauts was already on Amazon. Yeah. So, uh, it really does feel like they, they, were committed to, I guess, Frozen 2, which 
Fair enough. <laughs> um, that movie made a lot of money. All right, so, Chris, I made another Alter Egos game for you. I wanted to theme it around the films of Amazon Studios. So all of the answers to this round of Alter Egos will be uh, titles of Amazon Studios movies. Once again, how we play Alter Egos is I give Chris the names of three movie characters. And then Chris needs to figure out who played those characters and then what film all three of those actors were in together. Again, all of the answers will be Amazon Studios movies. Chris, are you ready? I am ready. I think you're going to do well with this. I have a feeling you have these movies in your memory banks and uh, (laughs) ready to go. All right. I have a feeling it's not going to be like Cold War. (laughs) No, I'm probably not going to give you Peterloo and Cold War. Probably not. All right. Your Peter first Lube, good movie, good great movie, loved. Yeah, Peter great Lube. movie. That movie got screwed. It did. It's too bad. All right, uh, justice for Mike Lee. Okay, your first trio of characters are Robert Ford, Ben Burns, and Marilyn Monroe. Robert Ford is Casey Affleck. This is definitely Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, you want to walk me through it? Ben Burns. Ben Burns has to be. Oh, I don't know. Ben Burns. Oh, uh, little Lukey. Lukey Hedges. Hedges. Ben is back. Yes, and obviously Marilyn Monroe. Uh, Anna Darmus. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Just say it. Listeners want to play along. It's Michelle Williams. Yes, in my week with Marilyn. Okay, next one. Chaz Tenenbaum, Pam Beasley, and Tony Blair. Uh, Pam Beasley, that's... Um, Jenna Fisher from The Office, right? Correct. Oh, what Amazon movie was she in? With Chaz Tenenbaum and Tony Blair. Chaz Tenenbaum is Luke Wilson, right? Or is it Ben Stiller? No, it's Ben Stiller. And Tony Blair is Michael Sheen uh, in... Uh, Frost Nixon. This is Brad Status. It the is very good. Brad Status. The very good Brad Status. Brad Status. When we were talking about last week about how my parents will tell me weird movies that I wouldn't have expected they watched, uh, I managed to talk them into having liked Brad Status after the fact. I felt very proud of the fact where they were like, "We saw this movie. We didn't like it very much. It was a Ben Stiller movie, and blah blah blah." And and I literally, in the span of like a twenty minute conversation, turned them around on having liked it after all. So. Uh, you're welcome, culture. I uh, I did that for us. Okay. Uh, next trio. Aurora, Gabby, Gabby, and Neo. Aurora, Gabby, Gabby, and Neo? Yes. Okay, Neo's Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. Aurora is... Is Princess Aurora the Princess Bride? Is that Robin Wright? No, that is uh, Princess Buttercup. No. Aurora is Sleeping Beauty. So, what's a sleeping... Oh, is it Elf Fanning? Yes. In Maleficent. You know, the Maleficent sequel is actually uh, kind of a serve. I liked it. Really? It's stupid, but I enjoyed it. I had fun. Um, I liked the first Maleficent. It's Yeah, not a good movie, but a uh, good time. Yeah. Okay, so Elf Fanning and who did... I, oh, Keanu Reeves. This is the Neon Demon. Yeah. Any guesses on who Gabby Gabby is? <laughs> is it to someone played by Jenna Malone or it's Christina um, Hendricks voicing a doll in uh, Toy Story 4 
Right, right. The, right. The, Christina it, Hendricks is in that movie for I think a scene. Yes, uh, I she's actually like that movie. <laughs> uh, Neon Demon. Yeah. Oh, I had a hard time with the Neon Demon. I'm gonna admit. All right, next trio: Dalton Trumbo, Morpheus, and John Dupont. Uh, Dalton Trumbo is Brian Cranston. Morpheus is uh lawrence fishburne in the matrix this is last flag flying yes the unfortunate richard linkletter uh last flag flying a movie i definitely saw and remember very very little about exactly unfortunately uh john dupont is of course steve carell in foxcatcher we were just talking about him all right next three are monica rambeau simon phoenix and tina turner Tina Turner is Angela Bassett in What's Love Got to Do with It? Uh-huh. Tina Turner. Um Monica Rambo and who? Simon Phoenix. Interesting. Monica Rambo. I'm assuming that's R A M B E A U. Correct. Not, uh, right, not not uh, not uh, Shoot him up in the jungles of... Uh, right. Of Who would be the Monica Rambo in that movie? Wait, so the, so you're saying a gender-swapped reboot of Rambo called Monica Rambo? Yes. Um, Jessica I mean, Alba. Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I'd probably watch it. I'd probably I watch Monica Rambo. I know I should Rambo. know what Monica Rambo is. No, Monica Rambo is one of your, your dead spots of culture. Um, oh. I, I I couldn't find another uh, recognizable name for this actress, and she is the lead of this movie, so I wanted to. All right, let's sub her in for with then me. with a different actress in that same movie, uh, Grizabella. So Jennifer Hudson. Yes. Jennifer Hudson and Angela Bassett. What are they in that was on Amazon? And let's say Lloyd Dobler. Also, Lloyd Dobler. I know I should know that. Um, or, or instead of Lloyd Dobler, a different character that that actor played. Oh, Lloyd Dobler. That that's John Cusack. Yeah. Uh, say anything, right? Yes. This is Chirac. It's Chirac. Yes. Uh, Monica Rambo like is Tayona Paris's character in uh, WandaVision and the upcoming. Aww. Captain I Marvel love movie. Her so much, you will not get me to watch. <laughs> She's great on that. And then Simon Phoenix is, of course, uh, Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. Ah, uh, I've never seen Demolition. Man. Oh, it's dumb and fun. I will say. Speaking of Sylvester Stallone, dumb fun movie. If it's on cable, I would catch it. It's got weird, weird future stuff that is uh, that is very sure. silly. Um, good stuff though. All right, next one, Paul Gauguin. Gloria Graham, Inigo Montoya. Okay, so Gauguin is um, Oscar Isaac in At Eternity's Gate. Inigo Montoya, bringing it back to the Princess Bride, is Mandy Patinkin. This is life itself. It is. And of course, who's the third of that trio? Gloria Graham. Oh, um, Annette Bening in Film Star's... What's that Liverpool movie? Film stars don't die in Liverpool. Yes. Oh, very, okay. very remember good. if it was don't die, don't live. I love that you will not get uh, Monica Rambeau in WandaVision, but you will immediately clock that Paul Gauguin was played by Oscar Isaac in At Eternity's Gate. This is why, this is why uh, you are special. <laughs> All right. Next 
three are King Arthur, Bruce Wayne, and Peter Parker. Speaking of superheroes that movies you don't watch. Okay. Well, Peter Parker's going to have less options. So that's Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and um, Tom Holland. Bruce Wayne, and then what was the first one you said? King Arthur. Great. Um, A lot of options. I think I'll get further with Bruce Wayne. So Bruce Wayne, you have Michael Keaton, you have Val Kilmer, you have George Clooney, you have Christian Bale, you have Ben Affleck, and now you have Robert Pattinson. Trying to create the a very elaborate Venn diagram yes. in my head. It looks like a spirograph. Yes. Um, visual thinker. Okay, so... Is this Andrew Garf, Tom Holland? Oh, is this the Lost City of Zed? It is because the Lost Charlie City of Hunnam Zed. is a King Arthur. Charlie Hunnam is a and King then it's Arthur. It's Robert Pattinson and Tom Holland. Yes, very good. Well deduced, Chris. It is the Lost City of Zed. A good movie. Good movie. All right. Next three are Anastasia Steele, Carrie White. And Thora and Thessaly Thacker. Oh. Um, I'm going to guess that the Carrie White is actually Chloe Grace Moretz. Instead of Sissy Spacek. Uh-huh. Um, I will sometimes deal. acknowledge your correct guesses as you go along, and sometimes I will let you twist in the wind, and you will never know... <laughs> <laughs> which is which Anastasia Steele is a name that I is definitely familiar yes uh, and the third one I do not know you might not but you've definitely seen that movie what's twins, the name again playing twins named Thora and Thessaly Thacker twins though twins though so it's somebody, one performer who played yes. twins. Yes. Thora and Thessaly Thacker. Which are kind of silly names, and what, what, uh, whose films can sometimes. With either Chloe Moretz or Sissy Spacek. No, I had confirmed that you were right about Chloe, Chloe Moretz. What? I had confirmed that you were correct about Chloe Moretz. Okay. Huh. <laughs> I I am normally equipped to remember the filmography of one Chloe Moretz, <laughs> but um, not going so well for me. Um, what was she in? That was an Amazon movie. I want to give you another name for the Anastasia Steele actress, but it's tough. It won't help you, but she has also played a character named uh, uh, Emily Summerspring, which I think is just stupid enough to uh, to mention. That's funny. Okay, the I guess the other thing is, these are all female characters. What's another Amazon movie that has mostly women? Um... Instead of Thora and Thessaly Thacker, how about... Let's see, what other role for this person? J.K.L. Berenson? That's one that's very situational. 
It's not going to jump off the page for you. Um, oh, wait, no, 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 no. This is so stupid. It's um the the twins are um Tilda Swinton in Hail Caesar. Yes. This is Suspiria. What? Oh, Anastasia Steele is Fifty Shades of Grey. There you go. You got it. <laughs> you figured it. it out. I hate you. Did you get that from J.K.L. Berenson? No, I I was just getting there with Chloe Moretz. Okay, all right. J.K.L. Berenson is Tilda in the in the uh, Chloe Moretz. French and I was dispatch. like, oh, all female cast. Right, oh, right. Okay, next three: Eleanor Dashwood, Disgust, Ooh, and Sir Galahad. <laughs> Disgust is Mindy Kaling. Eleanor in Inside Out. Eleanor Dashwood definitely then is Emma Thompson. Miss Dashwood. What is that? Is that Sense and Sensibility? It is Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, we're talking about Late Night. It is Late Night. Sir Galahad was Hugh Dancy in, I believe, the Clive Owen King Arthur? Uh, Yes. Late Night, a movie that is fine, but people had their knives out for it because people were too overzealous and said it was an Oscar movie. Yeah, I think people were first too too complimentary of it, and then too... uh, too mean to it and the the goldilocks median is right in the middle of for, for late night all right uh next one your names are ava gardner melanie graysmith and oscar wilde um the what was the first one you said again ava gardner ava gardner that is kate beckinsale in the aviator this has got to be love and friendship it is love and friendship i would love to do an episode on love and friendship we should Great movie. Um, I love that movie. Who's Melanie Graysmith? And in what movie? Uh, Chloe Sevigny and something. Graysmith. Can you get it from Graysmith? Oh, I feel like I should, but... It's her role from Zodiac. It's uh, <gasps> Gyllenhaal's right. wife. Right. And then Oscar Wilde is, uh, of course, the great uh, Stephen Fry. All right. Yep. Next one. Uh, Baby, Lieutenant James Gordon, and Dr. Chase Meridian. Dr. Chase Meridian is Nicole Kidman. Baby is Ansel Elgort from Baby Driver. This is the Goldfinch. This is the Goldfinch. Was that Amazon's like last partnership? Because that was like Amazon Maybe. and Warner Brothers. Yeah, it could be. Uh, Lieutenant James Gordon, you should know because... Uh, that is Jeffrey Wright in Le Batman. Le Batman. All right. Le Batman. Next ones. Clyde Logan, Lady Macbeth, and Cosme McMoon. <laughs> oh, I think I know what that Cosme thing is. Lady Macbeth, I'm going to guess, is Cotillard, actually. Mm-hmm. So what movie has she made? Oh, it's got to be Annette. Yeah, who's Clyde Logan? Oh, Logan Lucky. Yeah. Adam Driver. Yes. Cosme McMoon, any guess? Uh, is is that Simon Helberg and Florence Foster Jenkins? Yes, and can we finally make note of the fact that culture has not yet made note of the fact that Simon Helberg is now our uh, foremost player of accompanists on film <laughs> after playing Meryl's accompanist in Florence Foster Jenkins and uh, Marion Cotillard's accompanist in Annette. Like that, Amazon will never have another movie like Annette because, like that movie was. Uh, put that movie was uh from the old guard at amazon before the switch over because like that movie was a couple years like in the making what a fun movie what a very i love that movie movie. and amazon will never make anything that weird again 
I I have a little more I have a little more faith in the future, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Your pessimism probably is warranted, but uh, we'll see. All right, next one: Kingo, Ruby Sparks, and Ada McGrath. Ruby Sparks is Zoe Kazan. Yep. In Ruby Sparks, indeed. And then what was the third name? Ada McGrath. Uh, that is, is that Nicole Kidman in Cold Mountain? That is Ada Monroe. Ah. Ada McGrath. With Zoe Kazan. Ada McGrath. Zoe Kazan, second name that you named, so significant role. Oh, is the um Ada McGrath is uh 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 uh, uh it's Holly Hunter. Uh-huh. In... This is the big sick. Yes. Holly Hunter in the piano is Ada McGrath. Yes. Kingo, you were never gonna get it's uh it's um Kumal Nanjiani in Eternals. Right. Alright, next one. Harley Quinn, Carmela Soprano, Herb Stemple. <laughs> Carmela Soprano is Edie Falco. Yes. What were the other two names? Harley Quinn and Herb Stemple. Oh, Harley Quinn, that's Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie? No, it's not. Oh, okay. So was this like an animated Harley Quinn? Uh-huh. Gotcha. Um, only Edie Falco movie I can remember from Amazon is, I almost said Landfill, but Landline? The it Gillian is Landline. Movie? You're oh, correct. okay. Like, yes. So then Jenny Slate voices Harley Quinn? In the Lego Batman movie, correct. Oh, right. Oh, Lego Batman and like the Lego movie always always on these quizzes yeah and then herb stemple is uh our friend john Turturro in quiz show yeah for which he should have gotten an oscar nomination he has still never gotten an oscar nomination all right last question angie dickinson pablo escobar and commissioner james gordon pablo escobar was played by benicio del toro in something and james gordon Gordon, I'm guessing you're not going to use that twice, and I think that's going to be, um, wait, what was the first name? Angie Dickinson. Is this being the Ricardos? Yes, but talk us through it. Because Pablo Escobar is, um, uh, Javier Bardem, but James Gordon is not Gary Oldman. It is J.K. Simmons from, from the from the Snyder verse from movies. that which we shall not speak. How did you get Angie Dickinson though? Explain the unwell process I got it that got J. you K. there. Simmons. Oh, did you really? Yeah. So you don't know that Angie Dickinson is the character that Nicole Kidman plays in The Prom? No, I know that. I know that. That's just not how I got it. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. All right. Well done. Another fun slash psychotic tour through uh, Alter Egos for Amazon Studios. What else do we want to say about the Aeronauts before we uh, before we move Streamers into Streamers don't belong in balloons. Yes. So Amazon that year, now that we're on Amazon, by the way, I wrote down that they had like other priorities. And it's really kind of sad, the meager uh, status of the movies that were prioritized ahead of the Aeronauts. 
where, but they definitely were, I feel like. Uh, the Report, which got a Golden Globe nomination for Annette Benning as Diane Feinstein. And I remember them pushing Honey Boy decently hard towards the end of that season. Yeah. Because ultimately, I think their only nomination was for the French submission Les Miserables. Uh, yes, I think that's right. Which I did not like. Yeah, I don't remember a ton about it. But I don't think I liked it very much either. So, yes. Yeah, um... Kind of meager Amazon year. tried to For- say that this was their most watched movie on Prime, which, lol. Sure. I mean, what again? Pulling how- out of the Netflix playbook still because Netflix is always like, yes, this many people watched this movie. I just, I, I'm coming back to it again. Just like it really is a bummer that it really felt for a while that Amazon was going to be doing this whole thing differently than Netflix, and they were playing from a different playbook. And it's a bummer that it didn't take very much for them to sort of completely change tactics and try to imitate Amazon in a way, but like with way less artillery, like they just like you, I don't know. I, 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 I realize that I am an adherent to theatrical distribution. So I want all of these streamers to play it like Amazon did in 2016. And, and maybe it's foolish to, hope that they would but it's just a bummer that they sort of fell into lockstep with this really annoying uh release pattern that netflix has that just like completely kind of makes a mockery of theatrical distribution it's a weird thing to talk about now in the guise of the pandemic i understand but you know it's also you know a a lot of the uh a lot of uh, like distribution chains like AMC don't want to play those movies, so it's like it really becomes a "Do you live in a city?" <coughs> type of thing for yeah. people to want to be able to see those movies in theaters. Or it's like Netflix will four wall, which is paying the like a, basically a rental fee right. for like independent theaters and then it makes it harder for actually theatrically distributed <laughs> uh independent films to get screens um i mean you sort of look at what and they're not forewalling the the paris theater when they distribute these like they're you know but the fact that they have now sort of monopolized the entire paris theater does mean that that theater is not getting the sort of the breadth of independent movies that it used to, which is a bit of a bummer. Again, that movie, that theater would probably have closed otherwise. So, uh, you know, we, we take the strange bedfellows that we get sometimes in terms of keeping the theaters that we love open, but yeah, it's a bummer. Aeronauts was also on the first bake off list for visual effects. Yes. And then promptly was booted, which seems correct. Well, um, but let's look at the nominees that year before we start throwing out terms like correct. Um, I mean, I just... Uh, okay, maybe I just visually think that this movie is worse than you do. But I like, think you do. I just don't think it looks good. I think it looks good at... In, yeah, I, I think I, I think it looks pretty good. Um, nominees in 2019 were... All right. First off, right off the bat, The Lion King. Bullshit. Get rid of it. I don't want it. I don't need it. Um, The Irishman, if you feel like the de-aging in that movie was a 
benefit rather than a detriment. You are well within your rights to think that. Um, I didn't. Uh, Rise of Skywalker, whatever. Ah, that's right. You're an Irishman fan. I, that's so surprising about you. I don't. I, I adore I, the Irishman. Are you kidding me? I know, but I always forget that because it does not seem like uh, that should be correct. I don't know. Um, I think that's because you think the people that loved it online were annoying. They were. And I was never one of those people. I know. That's this. That is surprising. Um, Avengers Endgame and Star Wars, like, feel very boilerplatey to me. And then. 1917, in which, like, visual effects were really conflated with cinematography in a way that sometimes happens at the Oscars, but, like, I don't always love. I don't know. I think That's 19- a movie I don't love. Right, and that's a movie that I do. And I think that movie looks great, but I don't know how much I'm willing to chalk that up to visual effects. I feel like that's a weird category that year. I don't know. You liked the de-aging stuff in The Irishman? I know you liked that movie. I'll be honest, I didn't really notice it that much. I mean... I did. Oof. There's maybe a shot or two that doesn't look perfect, but, like, I love that movie. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't make it there. All right. Uh, it was also... The Aeronauts, uh, I mean, was nominated in Best Visual Effects at the Critics' Choice Awards. A lot of these same names. Avengers Endgame wins there. 1917, Irishman, Lion King. It is joined by... Ford versus Ferrari, which, again, definitely a movie I saw, could not tell you a thing about that movie. Like, really. Ford versus Ferrari. Has just, like, disappeared from my brain like candy glass. It's not a good movie. (laughs) Um, But I didn't think it was a bad movie. Like, watching it, I I feel like I would have remembered more of it. I would have been like, this piece of shit. Um, That that movie's the real Titan. It's about how all men just want to fuck their (laughs) car. Like, uh, all straight men just want to fuck their car. Like, my my favorite nominee from this seven nominees, which, like, Critics' Choice, calm entirely down. Absolutely. Um, But is a movie I loved, although I don't necessarily feel like it's a movie I loved for its visual effects, but Ad Astra, which I mostly love because... I mean, that would be a worthy winner. Sure. Well, it's by far, uh, I think, my favorite of those movies. But, again, I don't know how much i think about ad astra and be like oh, a triumph of visual effects more than just like a triumph of making a movie i like that also prominently <laughs> involves a monkey and also at times natasha leone so um what a great movie <laughs> i love that movie love that movie uh justice for ad astra entirely that got one oscar nomination right we can't do that for our podcast. one of the sounds hold on uh, back when we had two sounds, right? Uh, yeah, it was nominated for mixing. Probably that would have so been the last that year movie. that we had two sounds, right? Because it got uh, condensed directly after that, right? No, I think we had two sounds last year. No, I don't think we did. Hold, please. We had one sound last year. You were right. I was right. I know it's uncomfortable for you. When I am right about things, but it's sometimes not uncomfortable for me to be wrong. Happens. No, it's just that I am I, more uncomfortable that in that one sound co- category last year, Greyhound was nominated. 
That makes me more uncomfortable. But they are total sluts for water sounds in that category. You know that that's true. Like water that is... musicals. Right. That was that was the fun of having two separate categories. Is I had finally figured out the tendencies of the mm-hmm. nominators in both of those. That in visual effects they like bullets. And in sound, or in, in sound, sorry, in sound effects, they like bullets, and in sound mixing, they like water and musicals. And I was like, I finally, <laughs> they like bullets and explosions and mix in effects, and water and musicals and mixing. And I was like, I've gotten a handle on this. And then now they're like, nope, now it's one category, just back to square one. So great. Uh, I think it'll probably make for more obvious winners, though. In what? Uh, explain. Explain why more obvious. I mean, you don't have to do that type of hair splitting of like, well, what could they go here? Like, or, you know, I think it's just there's going to be the more obvious like thing that they're going to award. I think they're just going to now just like now that it's combined, I think they're just going to award it to the loudest movie, the loudest of the nominees. Once they get to the part where it's I the think general. Still... I, I think that's. That's part of it, but I do also think that musicals are going to have a strong chance because I think Best Sound is basically going to, for the most part, uh, look more analogous to sound mixing. Well, I think you're right. Uh, sorry, I have a pen in my mouth as I'm trying to type as I do this because I want to bring up the uh, the nominees for this year, and we'll see who do we... So who do we think from this year's nominees, which are... Scroll, scroll, scroll. Waste Dune, time. Waste I think time. Dune or West Side Story are winning. Dune, West Side Story, Power of the Dog, No Time to Die, and Belfast. So I feel like, yes, I think you're right that it'll probably come down to Dune or West Side Story. And my theory that they will they will reward the loudest film means it will be Dune, is my feeling. I feel like West Side Story could, in another world, be considered the loudest movie. I don't know. It's brass sections and strings. I mean, it's not a quiet movie, but I just feel like there's, I feel like the sound in Dune between the, the, and again, again, it's, it's the general, the gen pop of the Oscar, of the Academy membership. So it's like, I do feel like at some degree, you're going to have voters who are just going to be like, well, that score was very loud. So like that's sound, like everything that I hear is sound, which is true. It's the mixing of dialogue and score and and everything. Um, but I just feel like the movie where people will look at that and be like, "What's a movie that I remember the sound of it all?" And I think Dune jumps out of that category. Is my feeling. I would rather Dune win for sound than score. Um, I do love Hans Zimmer. You're good. It's gonna it's gonna be tough for me to not root for Hans Zimmer in a category. Who's he up against? I have some issues with that score. Plus, I like other scores more. That he's I mean, I want in, I, I want Encanto to win for something, but I think Encanto's gonna win best song, so I think I'm good I there. I think we both for sentimental reasons want Alberto Iglesias to win an Oscar. One hundred percent. I would normally be rooting for Nicholas Bratel in all uh, things, but not for Don't Look Up. And Part of me wants to just let the Johnny Greenwood people have it, which is not to say that Johnny Greenwood doesn't do a great that score. That score is amazing. He, of course it is. But I, you will agree with me that the Johnny Greenwood people are annoying. I don't know if I'll agree with you. Though. Oh, my God. You know I don't like Radiohead. You can have that one. You know that that's where I'm like, I don't care. The Johnny Greenwood people are annoying. I, I, I'm, I'm standing by it. You know it's true. All right. What else? I'm looking at my list. Aeronaut. 
Uh, Pour one out for women don't belong in balloons. Oh, the part where the the shadow of the balloon and has like a circular rainbow around it, and he says that's an aureole. I wanted to go into that more and the etymology of. He just means that's a like nipple rainbow, right? <laughs> right. That's sort of what he was saying. I sure. think. Yeah. What right. about Himish Patel, who is an oh, actor yes. who is gaining so much more prominence? His role makes me so mad in this movie. I think it's one of the things that makes me the most mad Put in this movie. Put him in he that balloon. To, what? Put him in that balloon. I want him in that balloon. He literally is like, you know, he's uh, the one non-white person in this movie. Yeah. Who He's like, you know, some people are just there to support other people. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> They're literally gonna make him say, "I am the, I am his not white friend who is there to support him." Like, you've got to be kidding me! Was this the same year that Fuck he was this in movie? <laughs> was this the same year that he was in Yesterday? Uh hold on. I don't know. I feel like that was his big like breakout, right? Where like, because uh... that movie made some money in the uh, pre-pandemic it world, did. right? It did, and I haven't. I've been spoiled on that movie, but I haven't watched it. Same, yeah. That's twenty nine. I don't need that in my life. That movie is also twenty nineteen. Um, love him though. Love Himish Patel. He was uh, briefly in Tenet and uh, loved him there. But of course, the thing that I've been uh, annoying people in my life probably about is he's so 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 good in Station Eleven. If you haven't watched Station Eleven on HBO Max, like, what are you waiting for? I think I was maybe a little oversold on it. I can't imagine um, after like, all of my like giant like it's not just you. praise. Um and, and like I don't I'm not saying that it's bad. I didn't quite love it in the way that so many people have. Though like come Emmy season, aside from Dan Romer, I will ride hard for a Himesh Patel Emmy. I mean, it's it's a bummer that score doesn't get a place of prominence with the Emmys like it does with the Oscars. Uh, and by place of prominence, I mean presented before the awards because uh, uh, we're disrespecting things like composers now. Um, but in general, like the the score categories at the Emmys are like even more shunted aside than they are at the Oscars, uh, which is too bad because like Dan Romer composed the score of the year in any medium, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for Station Eleven. You mean his score for Luca? I, you know I love Luca. Don't don't don't. Pit, pit me against Luca. I know. I, I'm 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 being a pill. I'm saying that both are pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, one of our best. But yeah, uh, uh, Himesh Patel, Mackenzie Davis. Uh, there's there's a lot. There's so many great performances. But like he in particular is so heartbreaking at so many instances of that show. And um, I guess you didn't like it as much as I did, and that's fine. But man really just like murdered me so good highly recommended excellent caitlin fitzgerald um yes not cinema but you know yeah cinematic <laughs> we television. are the arbiters yeah. of uh of uh caitlin fitzgerald's career exactly all right should we play the imdb game we've been talking about these darn aeronauts for a long time yeah um let's do it what um what do you have for me 
Or, well, why don't well, you explain to the listeners what the IMDb game is? Sorry, we're recording this at high altitude. My brain isn't <laughs> functioning anymore. I can't get the oxygen that I need. Um, every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. That's not enough. It just becomes a free for all of hints. This is true. All right. Uh, that is the IMDb game. Chris. Yeah. Uh, would you like to go for uh, first? What the? Would you like to first. guess first or give first? I would like to guess because I've been on a very, very dark streak. <laughs> You've been on a dark. And I feel path. like I, I I've failed like two in a row. So I'm I'm going to try to break that streak by going first. All right. I wish you uh, all the luck. So we didn't haven't really talked about uh, the director of the Aeronauts, uh, Tom Harper, very much beyond the fact that he is not Tom Hooper, but is in fact Tom Harper. That same year uh, that the Aeronauts came out, uh, I believe, so he directed Wild Rose technically the year before, but I don't think that got released until 2019. Am I wrong? Correct. It played... TIFF and I believe elsewhere in 2018 and then was released in spring summer 2019. Right. So I plumbed into the supporting cast of Wild Rose to come up with a uh, an IMDb game contestant for you and the actress I have chosen is Miss Julie Walters. Julie Walters. Okay, so the thing about Julie Walters is she is a Harry Potter performer. Yes. We used to avoid those, but now it feels like the waters have cooled on that. However, I don't think she is getting out of her known for without Harry Potter showing up somewhere. So I might put a pin in that because do I think it's one or more than one? Which one? Hmm. So, yeah, I'm just going to put a pin in that. I'm going to say Billy Elliot. Correct. Oscar nominated for Billy Elliot. Yeah. Run, Billy, and such. I'm going to say Mamma Mia. Correct. The first Mamma Mia playing, what's her character's name? Rosie? Rosie. Rosie. We love her. (laughs) Okay. I'm getting, I, there could be things that are older than Billy Elliot, but because like she had the rise after Billy Elliot, I'm going to guess that they're all going to be after that. I think. Um, I mean, it's not going to be like Wild Rose. I, I, I should just guess a Harry Potter and I'm going to say the first Harry Potter incorrect on the specificity of that last harry potter correct harry potter and the deathly hallows part two if you recall that was the uh not my daughter you bitch moment where she uh zaps helena bonham carter which ask anybody before that movie was made as people were reading that final book that was the line that everybody sort of coalesced around i remember reading that one uh at I think I was still working at the library when that, and I remember gasping out loud and somebody being like, what? And I'd be like, you wouldn't understand it. It's fine. <laughs> um, 
Uh, yes, Deathly Hallows Part 2. So three correct, one strike, one remaining. I'm going to guess Paddington. Is that her in Paddington? Yes, it is her in Paddington. Um, who, Wait, who is she in Paddington? It's not correct. I just know way. from photos that she's in Paddington. <laughs> I haven't seen the Paddingtons. Wait. I know that's going to get me so in trouble. Not by me, but like the rest of the internet's going to eat you alive. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, she plays. I'll see the Paddingtons. She's Mrs. Bird in Paddington, but that is not correct. So two strikes. So your remaining year is uh, 2015, the year after Paddington. Oh, it's Brooklyn. Yes, she plays the... See, I thought about Brooklyn, but I didn't guess it because that role's not that big. No, she plays the boarding house uh, proprietress in, in Brooklyn. I suppose she probably gets an and credit or something. That's very... Let me look at all the posters right here. Let me see if I can uh, ask She can't be second build. I'm pretty sure Donald Gleason has to be second build. Uh, yes, yeah, Saoirse Ronan, Donald Gleason, Emery Cohen with Jim Broadbent and Julie Walters. Very good guessing there you the go. end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, sorry, I probably got very close to the mic there, so sorry to our listeners. Um, That's okay. <laughs> why don't you uh, give it to me? All right, so we talked about Slash Shield 4, Himish Patel in Station Eleven. For you, I have pulled his co-star, the co-lead of Station Eleven, uh, one Miss Mackenzie Davis. I do love Mackenzie Davis. Any television. Uh, one television. I think Station Eleven's too recent, so I'm going to guess Halt and Catch Fire. Incorrect. Damn it. Great television program, though. Oh, fantastic television program. I just watched that dumb... Uh, uber show on showtime with joseph gordon levitt uh carrie bichet is in that in in that show and it bums me out so hard that she has to be you know wasted in something like that and uh and not something as good as halt and catch fire all right what was the other mackenzie davis tv show i really don't think it's station 11 I'll give you a nudge along in that she's on here for one episode of this television Oh, show. oh, oh, thank you. That's a very crucial hint. It's uh, the San Junipero episode of uh, Black Mirror. Correct. Excellent performance. Performance says she and Gugu Mabatha-Ra are both very good in that. I have not watched much Black Mirror, but I am familiar with the San Junipero gifs. Oh, you should watch that one. You, the nice thing about Black Mirror is you can just watch you know, individual episodes. You don't have to watch all of it, which I still have not watched all of it. Okay. So three films with Mackenzie Davis. I'm going to guess that Blade Runner 2049 is one of them. Correct. Okay. Okay. Two more. I wish it was the movie. What if, uh, with Daniel Radcliffe and, uh, and Zoe Kazan and Adam Driver, where she plays Adam Driver's girlfriend, and uh, the two of them are chaotic good in that. Uh, they're really fantastic, but I don't think, A, enough people saw that movie, and B, uh, that that role is big enough. So probably not that. Um, Kenzie Davis. I mean, most. You're missing a big one. I'm sure I am. 
You're missing an obvious one, I, I would say. I know you're going to get there. We love this movie. I've seen people dog on this movie, but I know you and I. Is she the lead of this movie? No, but <laughs> I'm, I, I need to stop giving you hints. Yeah, it's true. I'm you too... need to get another wrong I'm... answer before. I'm not giving you any more. All right. No, 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 no. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. All right. Mackenzie Davis. I'm going to just throw the Martian out there. Incorrect. Okay. Your years are 2019 and 2018. 2019 and 2018. All right. Oh, I'm going to kick myself, aren't I? I know. I can feel it lurking out there. 2018. She's not the lead character. But, I mean... She's a very important character. She's the title (sighs) character. Yes. Yes? Yes. What the fuck? How have you not guessed this yet? I don't know. You love this movie. We, we, we've had conversations. When this movie came out, we were like the loudest people loving this movie. Did we see it at Toronto? No. Damn it. Um, she's the title character, but she's not the lead. But she is also the lead. Spoiler. What the fuck? <laughs> oh my god. It's not coming to me. What's my problem? This is a reunion of a writer, director, and star. A writer? Of another movie that we definitely ride hard for. Oh, my God. I'm Tully. It's Tully. Yes. Perfect. I've seen people dogging on Tully lately, and I just want to say that. Okay, why are people talking about Tully if only to dog on it? What a rude thing to do. I don't know. I think because Mackenzie Davis, Station Eleven, blah, 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 blah. 2019, your last movie, it is a franchise. It is a maybe cursed franchise. Is she in one of the Fantastic Beasts? No. Cursed in a different way. Like, this this franchise isn't, you know, it's not problematic that I've... Is she in one of the Godzilla versus Kongs? No. It's a franchise that just won't die, and no one cares, and they just keep making movies. God. Uh, Transformers. No. Those movies actually still make money. So these movies don't even make money? Not as much as they should. Oh, so they're good. No, not as much as they should to break even. Gotcha, gotcha, these are gotcha, very. Gotcha. These are very expensive movies. The past at least three, there might even be more, have not made enough money to keep justifying sequels but like they're trying to keep this franchise alive for whatever reason and this this installment brought back one of its most the franchise's most famous players who had been sitting out of the franchise for almost three decades three decades not three we'll say 25 years it's not a bond it's not bond that's a long ass franchise. Star Trek. You probably could not. If you can name the franchise, I will accept it as an answer because the past three, maybe four installments, I don't think you could name the like subtitle. It's like franchise colon subtitle. Not the Mission Impossibles. No. Not Star Treks. Not Star no. Wars. No. What the fuck? Uh, think time travel. Think time travel. 
Mackenzie Davis was definitely like of I assume she's a new character of the new characters definitely like the lead of it but this was also more about reuniting the like original two stars and no one saw this movie I don't I this no way this made a hundred million dollars I'm gonna look it up and see if it even made 50 wow Reunited the two stars from the 90s? The original was in the 80s. The sequel was in the 90s. The sequel was in the 90s. The first sequel. And they're time travelers? The time travel is integral to this franchise. Well, now I can't stop thinking about Quantum Leap, even though that's not correct. (laughs) Um, Time travel Uh, Iconic catchphrases... Um, part of the problem is the, oh, is it Bill and Ted? It is not Bill and Ted. I'm so sorry. The um, the lead star was known for these type of movies, and they tried to do like a reboot with younger stars. And this one, it's just like this guy's maybe too old to make these movies. And no, it's not Indiana Jones. Is it like like this movie made sixty two million dollars? Are our listeners like totally screaming at their at their? Phones I think at they me? probably are. I'm sorry. The one before it made eighty nine million dollars, and then the one before that made one hundred and twenty five. What the fuck? Is this like a the star that came back? Are were they like totally washed up? Was it like a Schwarzenegger type thing? I mean, I wouldn't. I washed up makes it sound like you know we're in a bargain bin, but it it is Schwarzenegger. <laughs> it is Schwarzenegger. Terminator, of course. Terminator, of course. She was in the most recent Terminator. She is. She's the one. It's first on her known for. She's the one with uh, abs, right on the right. Yeah. Exactly. Did not watch it. Has totally fallen out of my mind. All of your f- clues are correct. The subtitle is Dark Fate. Yeah. Terminator Dark Fate sounds like the Terminator ride, right? Like, that doesn't sound like a movie. No, it doesn't sound like a movie. I mean, But, but yeah, the- Linda Hamilton's back in this one. Right, 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 right. No, I did not see it. I do not acknowledge it. Uh, it was one of those more Terminator movies. It was one of those things where for a minute there, it seemed like... Because I remember they were really... They had a decent teaser for it. Well, and the publicity campaign was really going. Like, Linda Hamilton was, like, interviewed in the Times. And it felt like they were feathering the nest for this being, like, a back-to-basics reboot that gets it. And is going to be the thing that we can all go back. And then it's the knives were not out for this movie. I think people were ready to be in on the Terminator again. And the reviews just couldn't get there. Like they could not drum up the and people just the, ignored it. The enthusiasm for it. Yeah. Well, I think it also might have been the counter programming to Frozen. Maybe. And like Frozen 2 just kind of gobbled up. Did it release that late in the year? I thought it was uh November. Was it November? Huh. Well anyway God, sorry, listeners, for uh, for torturing you guys with that. I uh, totally forgot that she was in that. 
Justice for Mackenzie Davis. No, you know what? She's doing well. Her career is just going well. She's she's doing all the right things. I think she's making the right decisions and good for her. We like her. Go watch Station Eleven. Okay. Uh, that is our episode for this week. If you would like more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris v. File. That's F-E-I-L. Woohoo! I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed, spelled the same way. We would like to thank... Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork. Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so shake off that altitude madness and write something nice about us, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Buzz.